0: Two, one. When I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer, Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon, Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Here, Welcome in we go. Oh, he's so what's podcast It is sweeping america the air tour sports podcast it is monday march 29th 2021 people and my goodness do we have a great show for you today so much to get into we had a whole wild helping of sweet 16 games this weekend it of course has led us to an elite eight where the Pac 12 has arrived three Pac-12 teams in the Elite Eight. How did we get here? What does it mean? We'll talk about everything that happened this weekend, and then I'll preview the Elite Eight because obviously this will be the final show that I do before we have a Final Four set. I'll obviously be back on Wednesday, but before that we will have a Final Four set. Uh, We will talk about the games that happened this weekend, what's ahead, and then what will happen after that. You don't want to miss this. We will take a quick, quick, quick break, and I will come back on the back end and talk coaching carousel where, don't know if you heard, but Indiana has made the hire of the century. Mike Woodson in an Indiana can't lie wish I could sit here and tell you that I love the hire but I don't we will have a moment of silence for Indiana basketball because they are officially dead I really did think they were going to nail this hire I was completely wrong we will talk about Mike Woodson we will talk about Shaka Smart but as I said uh, this is essentially the last episode before we have a final four set so so much to get into don't want to waste any more time before we get started want to remind everybody please make sure that you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, iTunes, the podcast, Addict App, Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn Radio. If you are listening, I should mention, on the KSR feed, make sure to go ahead, find the Aaron Torres Podcast feed, subscribe there. So much great content on this show, so much going on. Again, make sure to uh, subscribe. Also, rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, all that good stuff, what you don't like, anything that you want to add. Make sure to Give us a nice little rating and review. Also, make sure you're following on social media, at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. And before we get to the Sweet 16, everything that happened this weekend, I do want to very welcome very quickly Welcome in our good friends and our great sponsor who has been with us all March long, and that is PicksWise. PicksWise is the number one home of free sports betting picks. You can find the who, how, and why behind every pick for every sport, every game, every day, all for free all at PixWise.com. Throughout March, PicksWise is running a college basketball handicapping contest featuring some of the best experts in the game. Get free daily picks and analysis from the likes of John Rothstein, Rashad Phillips, and more. Head over to PicksWise.com now to see which expert is hot as they battle it out for a winner-takes-all $10,000 cash prize. Make your next bet better with PicksWise. All right, so a big thank you to Pixwise. and with that said, let's get into it. There is no more time to waste. And I do hope you guys had a fun weekend because I, I I know I've said it a million times, but as I sit here and watch all these games, I can't go I can't help but go back to last year, go back to last March. NCAA Tournament. March Madness was taken away from us right as we were about to get it. The whole world was flipped on its head. We didn't know what to expect. We didn't know what was going on. But I think it is so great that we have had this tournament back. It has been a really, really, really fun event. I have enjoyed the heck out of it. I know a lot of you guys have as well, guys and girls. And so let's get into some of the meat of the NCAA Tournament, the meat of this weekend. And let me first start by saying this. Congratulations to the eight teams that have made the Elite Eight. We obviously will not do another episode before we have a final four. So let me first congratulate everybody that made it to the Sweet 16 and the eight teams that have advanced. And the eight teams that have advanced, you know who they are. We got three from the Pac-12, Oregon State, UCLA, and USC, one from the SEC in Arkansas, one from the Big 12 in Baylor, one from the Big 10 in Michigan, one from the AAC in Houston, and one from the WCC in Gonzaga congratulations to those eight teams you guys have been incredible in this entire tournament and let's get into some of the individual storylines and I think the single biggest storyline you know where I'm gonna go you know what I'm gonna say and it is Bill Walton's Pac-12 I don't want to say they're back because I don't think they've ever been here before but three Pac-12 teams in the Elite Eight uh and obviously it goes without saying The only one that did got to the Sweet 16 and did not make the Elite Eight was Oregon, which ran into another Pac-12 team in USC, ended up getting beaten. But we have three Pac-12 teams in the Elite Eight. And let's get into the biggest question I think most of you guys have. Most of you guys have asked me, you've DM me, you've asked me, you've kind of hit me on Twitter, you've hit me on Instagram. How did the Pac-12 get so good? Where did they get so good from? How did this happen? And so let's talk about it, because I think there's a few reasons why, and I want to give you some perspective. Obviously, me being on the on the West Coast, I obviously know a lot of these coaching staffs. We've had Mick Cronin on this podcast. Andy Enfield was supposed to come on until the Pac-12 completely reshuffled the schedule late, and they had like four games in the last week. But let's get into how did the Pac-12 get here? How did we as a community, as a college basketball community, get to this point where we have three teams from the Pac-12 in the... Elite Eight. The first reason, I've said it before, I think the NCA completely screwed up seeding this year. And I'm not blaming one person. I'm not blaming the committee. I'm not blaming the metrics. I'm not blaming the net. I'm not blaming Ken Palm. I'm not blaming anybody. But what I am telling you is I do think it's pretty indisputable at this point that whatever metrics we use to determine who is good and who is bad, those metrics were completely wonky this year. And part of it isn't necessarily on the committee. It's on the metrics and the data that we put into the computers. And I think part of it was we didn't have it out of conference slate, so it was harder to gauge conference versus conference, all that stuff. But as I've said the last two or three episodes, when the Big Ten to a man completely underachieves, they have eight teams make the NCAA tournament, or they may have nine teams make the NCAA tournament. Eight of them are out in the first weekend. And when the Pac-12 completely overachieves, they have five teams in the NCAA tournament. Four of them make the, the Sweet 16. Three make the Elite Eight. I don't think there's any way to argue that the metrics were just off this year. The, the 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 normal things that we use to determine who should be an NCAA tournament team and who shouldn't like it and who should be seated. I think it was just off. I don't think there's any debate. I don't think it's even debatable or disputable. As a matter of fact, I had a great tweet from a listener of this show from Jake D who said A.T., Can you remember a conference being seated so low and overperforming so much despite only having five teams in the tournament? I was researching earlier for a little bit and couldn't find one. All five of the teams made it to round 32, four to the Sweet 16, three to the Elite Eight. And the only reason the last one got eliminated was because one was matched up against the other. So shout out to Jake, because I think that's a great metric and a great stat and a great uh, you know, job by him to look into this. Because we have never in the history of the NCAA tournament had teams as misseeded as the, the Pac-12 was. And don't tell me that it's because the schedules were easy and they got the right breaks. and they, Like, no. At this point, you can't argue that these teams got breaks and benefits to get to where they are. UCLA has now beaten uh, the number two seed in their region, which of course was uh, Alabama on on Sunday afternoon. I don't. We'll get into that game in a minute. But you look at Alabama. I think Alabama was awesome this year. Regular season SEC champ, conference tournament champ, and if you watch that game. I don't think there was all that much difference between Alabama and UCLA from a talent perspective, from a skill perspective. Uh, USC obviously dominated Kansas, a historically great program. They finished second in the Big Ten regular or or third in the Big 12 regular season. Uh, Didn't get a chance to play in the conference tournament, but USC dominated them. Uh, Oregon dominated Iowa. Like You can't debate at this point that these teams were misseeded. I'll just give you the example and we'll move on, but I mentioned it on a few episodes ago. Just think about it like this. Just take your opinion and take my opinion out of it. But let's just think about this. Oregon finished the regular season at 20 and 6 overall. They finished first in the Pac-12 regular season standings. And they were a 7th seed in the NCAA tournament. Name me another conference. The Pac-12 is supposed to be a power conference. They're supposed to be on equal footing with equal respect as the Big 12 and the Big 10 and the ACC. And I'm not saying that every single year they're as good. But name me a single time that a team that finishes 20-6 and, and in first place in a conference ends up as a 7th seed. I would venture to guess it has never happened. Think about it from another perspective. Imagine if Kansas, 20-6 and six in the Big 12 they'd be a number one seed. They'd maybe be the number one overall seed. Same with Duke, same with Carolina, same with whoever, but the Pac-12 simply doesn't get any respect. So I think that's number one. I think these teams were misseeded. I don't think you can really debate it at this point. When you have four teams make the Sweet 16 and all four beat at least one seed higher than them to get there, you can't really debate it. Number two, I think it's important to note, we spend so much time focusing on recruiting at, at Kentucky and Duke and Carolina with good reason those are the programs that the vast majority of college basketball fans are interested in I get it but these teams have really good players I mean you look at USC Evan Mobley is going to be probably at this point a top two or top three pick I saw the Anthony Davis comparisons on Twitter on Sunday night I think it's a little bit much but he's going to be a top two pick his older brother Isaiah Mobley was a McDonald's All-American was the California player of the year uh, and they have done an incredible job of filling out that roster around him with grad transfers and shooters and spacers of the floor. Like, they're a really good team. UCLA, I don't do this often, but credit to Steve Alford because Steve Alford left a lot of talent for Mick Cronin. And we're going to get into Mick Cronin in a minute. Uh, but Steve Alford left him Tiger Campbell, who is an awesome point guard. Cody Riley, who's that big guy who was dominant down low. Cody Riley picked uh, UCLA over Kansas. Cody Riley was a top 30, top 40 recruit. Johnny Juzang obviously wasn't recruited by Steve Alford, but top 30, 40 recruit. I mean, UCLA has top 30 guys littered all over their roster. The third reason that I think the Pac-12 is overachieving, because this isn't a one-off one-year deal. I've said it before. If you go back to last year, this conference was in prime position to do last year what they did this year. Oregon with Peyton Pritchard last year was awesome. They could have made a Final Four last year. UCLA, in many ways, was probably better last year than they are this year. Had a kid named Chris Smith, who's probably going to be a first-round NBA draft pick, who got hurt in the middle of the season this year. Um, And and they haven't been, frankly, that that was why they struggled down the stretch. They didn't have their best player. Uh, USC, they didn't have Evan Mobley. But they did have a kid named Onyeka Kongwu who ended up being a first-round NBA draft pick. They had all the other pieces. They actually had better guard play, better three-point shooting. You could argue that that team was better. Colorado had basically this team that they had this season with a kid named Tyler Bay who ended up being a second-round pick. So I think when you factor in that they were just misseeded, that they um, have better players than we realize, and that they were this good last year and just didn't get the credit... I think we need to just give the Pac-12 credit because I think it's better than people realize. And I do think the things that we always talk about hurting the Pac-12 hurt hurt them this year and hurt them with the perception of the NCAA Tournament Committee. I think the fact that they play late hurts them. I think the fact that, let's be honest, they basically play Thursday nights and Saturdays when everybody else is playing... I get it. Most of you guys live on the East Coast. I see the numbers. I know where you guys live. Most of you guys are in Ohio, Indiana, Tennessee, Kentucky, Georgia, Florida, where you don't have time. You can't be up till 2 a.m. watching USC Washington. I get it. But I do think that this conference has been better than, they, than they've than they been given credit for, and I do think they deserve all the recognition that they're getting. Uh, all right, a couple more notes on the Pac-12 before we move on. The first one is, I just want to give a quick shout out to Andy Enfield in and USC. And what I mean by that is this. First of all, the reason you guys listen to this podcast is because I tell you stuff that's going to happen. About two, three, four months before it actually happens. And if you go through my Twitter timeline, I was telling you in mid to late January, USC is the most underrated team in college basketball. Pay attention to them. They're awesome. And I even went so far as to do a segment on this show to talk about how awesome the Pac-12 is and how awesome USC is and how USC isn't getting the credit they deserve. And so very quickly, because it's more prevalent now, because more people are watching, because more people care, let's give a quick shout-out to USC. Let's give a quick shout-out to Andy Enfield. Because I think the job that he is doing at USC is completely underrated on the national scale. It was really interesting. I had somebody reach out to me via Twitter basically saying, hey, where would you rank Andy Enfield uh, like in the top 25 coaches? Because I think he's kind of underrated. And so I don't know exactly where I would rank him, and I'm not going to do that now. Maybe I'll do it in the offseason when there's more time to kill. But when you look at what Andy Enfield has done at USC, it's actually kind of incredible and it's actually kind of one of the most underappreciated jobs anyone has done anywhere in college basketball. And part of it is because of who the school is, where they're located, and what USC basketball means to LA. And USC basketball, let me just tell you, I live in LA. USC basketball means nothing to LA, okay? USC basketball is behind the MLS teams in LA in terms of interest. We got the LA Galaxy. We got LAFC. USC basketball is distant behind them in the, just the MLS teams. Forget the Dodgers, the Lakers, LeBron, the Rams, Kawhi, the Clippers. USC basketball has no relevance in LA. And despite it, this is what Andy Enfield has done. taking over a program that has basically no history. And here is his resume. 2016, he made the NCAA tournament. 2017, he made the NCAA tournament. 2018, they finished second in the Pac-12 regular season, second in the Pac-12 tournament, Pac-12 runners up, and were the first team out of the NCAA tournament in 2018. So in other words, if they had literally won one more game, if they had won the Pac-12 tournament championship, they would have gone in 2018. Last year, they would have made it in 2020. And now they are in the Elite Eight in 2021. And so what I'm essentially telling you is they are one game away. And of course, a pandemic as well from having gone to five NCAA tournaments in the last six years. That is absolutely insane. And I'm just telling you, this guy does not get the credit that he deserves. So I want to give a quick shout out to Andy Enfield. You know who else I want to give a quick shout out to? Mick Cronin. Because look, Mick Cronin is kind of one of these guys, a little intense. He's, you know, he's he's fired up. He's he's always angry. I think when he even came on the podcast uh, back in the summer, he was angry. But you know this is a guy that 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 for the most part, like he's kind of a Twitter punching bag, right like he was just that dude at Cincinnati, and they were really good in the regular season, and then they got to the tournament and they never performed, and they always choked and oh my God Mick Cronin's so overrated and it's like well, now he's at u c l a you kind of see like how good this guy is uh first of all, let's go back to the to the uh Cincinnati stuff. I get it um he only quote unquote, and I'm using air quotes here in my apartment after you know two a m Eastern on, uh, you know, on Sunday night into Monday, but he only made one Sweet 16, even though he made nine straight NCAA tournaments at Cincinnati. First of all, you know how hard it is to make nine straight NCAA tournaments at Cincinnati? Look at what's happened at Cincinnati since Mick Cronin left. It's been a disaster. It's been a grease fire. They might fire the coach that they hired to replace him two years into this thing. But you look at Mick Cronin, year one last year, took over a dumpster fire from Steve Alford, They're a shot away from winning the Pac-12 regular season. They would have made the NCAA tournament last year. And then this year, I know it's easy to look at the record, but look at what happened. Their best player, again, Chris Smith, was their star player. He gets hurt the middle of the season. He's out for the year with a knee injury. They lose a second starter, Jalen Hill, to suspension. Sketchy suspension. Nobody really knows what's going on. That is how they ended up as an 11 seed. That is how they ended up as a team that, when they were entering the NCAA tournament, nobody thought was going to do any damage. That is how they ended up as a team. Which, oh by the way, they still entered the tournament 19 and nine, as if they were some or 18 and nine, as if they were some terrible team. No, they were really good, playing in a really co- a really good conference. And I just want to give McCronin credit because, like I said, I get it. He's kind of a punching bag. Everybody on Twitter likes to make fun of him. I think this guy's awesome. I don't think he gets the credit that he deserves, and I'm happy to see that team make the Sweet 16 and into the Elite Eight. Um, I would also say, by the way, shout out to Nate Oates, Alabama. Um, You know, look, Alabama's first Sweet 16 since 2004. That was a great game. That was probably the game of the tournament in the Pac-12 And all I would really say is I thought it was really competitive. I thought it was really close. Again, back to UCLA for a second. Shout out to UCLA because I think they're way better than people realized. Like I said, Alabama SEC regular season conference tournament champ. UCLA looked every bit their equal. But I also, on top of giving credit to UCLA, I do want to give credit to Alabama. I mean, an incredible year for Nate Oates, completely flipped that program. At one point, I think they were six and four, and they go on to win the Pac-12 regular se- or the SEC regular season, the SEC conference tournament, um, and they're awesome. And I'm telling you. They should bring back most of their guys. Herb Jones will obviously go pro. Uh, John Petty will graduate. But outside of those guys and Alex Reese, Javon Quinterly should be back. And he was awesome down the stretch. Josh Primo should be back. Jaden Shackelford should be back and you add in the fact that they have a top 20 recruiting class coming in and like I said they are going to crush it on the transfer market. I am really excited to see the future of this program. So I know it's a little bit of a disappointment for Alabama fans, but it was a great season and I do think the future is bright. Really quickly, some of the other games from this weekend. Let's transition. You know, not a ton of, like, major, major takeaways. First of all, Arkansas. Shout out to Arkansas. First Sweet 16 since – or first Sweet 16 since 1996 – they are now in their first Elite Eight since 1995 when they made the national championship game against UCLA. So unbelievable run for Arkansas. They played probably outside of maybe Alabama-UCLA, Alabama, uh, Alabama- UCLA. maybe the most entertaining game of the tournament against Oral Roberts. They were obviously down double digits for most of the second half. An incredible rally. I'll say this, they are an insanely fun team to watch Arkansas. Uh, they have been down double figures in all three of their NCAA tournament games. To Colgate, to Texas Tech, and now to to um, excuse me to Oral Roberts. They rally to win. Devo Davis, I've been telling you about him on this podcast for months. I've been telling you about him on my Twitter feed for months. This kid is awesome. He doesn't feel pressure. He makes the shot to send Arkansas to the Elite Eight. Uh, Oh, by the way, he made the defensive stop in the round of 32 on Mac McClung, didn't allow him to touch the ball. I'm telling you, that kid is a future NBA player, that kid is a future All-SEC player, that's maybe a future SEC player of the year type kid, but I am just telling you, that kid is incredible, incredible win for Arkansas as they advance, by the way, shout out to Oral Roberts, who I thought just played the game of their lives, Max Apes-miss, uh just an awesome, awesome, awesome performance from him, let's all be honest, we all thought that shot was going in at the end. But Arkansas advances. They will play Baylor. We'll talk about that in a minute. And then the only other, you know, major takeaways. I mean, one, shout out to Gonzaga. They were awesome. Um, Don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves because I do think that Gonzaga-USC game is going to be really interesting. But they were awesome against Creighton. And then, really quickly, I just want to give a quick shout out to, to Kelvin Sampson. And I know Kelvin Sampson's one of these guys, whenever you give him credit, it's like, oh, well, he's this crazy cheater. And he's a cheater, and don't give him credit. And it's like... Go back and do your homework. The guy got busted for, quote-unquote, making too many phone calls, which isn't even an NCAA rule anymore. You can make as many phone calls as you want. And relative to what we've seen in college basketball over the last two, three, four years with the FBI getting involved with allegedly – Um, you know uh, an Arizona assistant coach paying $40,000 to get a fake transcript uh, with the things that Will Wade is accused of is making too many phone calls really that bad because I'm not sure that it is so Kelvin Sampson obviously anytime I want to give him credit ever oh he's a cheater though and it's like no he's really not I mean he broke the rules he deserves to be punished for it and he was but now he's back and what he is doing at Houston is incredible I don't think people realize this, before Kelvin Sampson got to Houston, Houston had not won a single NCAA tournament game since 1984, okay, 30 years before Kelvin Sampson got there, they had not won a single NCAA tournament game, he gets there in 2018, they make it to the round of 32, they would have made the Sweet 16, but Jordan Poole from Michigan hits a buzzer beater, 2019 they get to the sweet 16 Tyler Hero basically hits a buzzer beater otherwise they would have gone to the elite eight against Kentucky and then now they're in the elite eight and I just think this guy has done one of the most incredible coaching jobs that I have seen in recent memory it doesn't get enough credit he doesn't get the credit that he deserves and that dude's just like a great X's and O's coach and oh by the way he's not going anywhere for people to like Texas should hire him this school should hire him that school should hire him Ask Arkansas fans. He was the number one priority for Arkansas when their job opened up. And he's like, dude, I'm retiring in Houston, man. I make really good money. I'm in a great recruiting area. I'm in a conference that I can win every year. My son is probably going to replace me as the head coach. I'm not going anywhere. So shout out to Kelvin Sampson. Houston, their first Elite Eight since 1984. All right, really quickly, uh, I will just get to the games uh, that are coming up on Monday and Tuesday, the Elite Eight. We will start with Oregon State and Houston. uh, Monday night, that is a 7.15 Eastern time tip-off. All I'll say is this, um, I think it's going to be a fun game. I think it's going to be a close game. I think it's going to be a competitive game. Um, Houston Open is like an eight-and-a-half point favorite, and I think it's down to like seven now. And the reason being, like, Oregon State's really good. I mean, Oregon State beat Tennessee. They beat Oklahoma State. They beat Loyola Chicago. They've beaten some really good teams. They've dominated for large, large, large stretches, really good defensive team. Houston, of course, is number one in the country in field goal percentage defense. I do like Houston, but I think it's going to be close. I think it's going to be low scoring. Uh, You know, if you liked, uh, you know, if you liked Gonzaga Creighton, this is going to be the opposite. I do think Houston wins. I do think this is finally where the road ends for Oregon State. But listen, would it shock me if Oregon State won this game? I don't think it would. They dominated Loyola Chicago. They dominated Tennessee. They dominated uh, Oklahoma State. Won all of those games convincingly, but I think this one's close, low scoring. I will go with Houston. The second game on Monday night. Woo, Pink Suey, Arkansas, first Elite Eight, as I said, since 1995. Baylor basically trying to go for their first Final Four in the modern era. I will say I like Baylor. I mean, I don't know what else there is to say. This was my Elite Eight before the NCAA tournament started. I had Baylor against Arkansas. I do have Baylor winning this game. And I think what it comes down to for Arkansas is what I said a minute ago. They've fallen down by double figures in all three of their games this year, or all three of the games in the NCAA tournament. I don't think you can do that. I certainly don't think you can do that against a really good defensive team in Baylor, a really good team in general in Baylor. And I just watched this Baylor team, and I think they're on a mission. I mean, you look at what they did to Villanova on Saturday, where they fall down uh, by double figures, basically at halftime into the second half, and then those guards just clamped down. Davion Mitchell was awesome, and they dominated And I thought what was telling to me about Baylor is that their best player, Jared Butler, really didn't play that well. I think he finished with nine points, like three and nine shooting. And they still won going away. The kid is special. The team is special. I do like Baylor. I would suggest to Arkansas. I would not fall behind by double digits in this game because you will not be able to make it up. But I do like Baylor to win in advance. They were my pre-tournament Final Four pick, as was Houston, as a matter of fact. Uh, Going to Tuesday's games little surprising that the USC Gonzaga game is the earlier one and I saw kind of an official from the NCA kind of explain why is like TV dictates this stuff, and I will say like Michigan, for whatever reason, is a massive draw in football and basketball. They are huge. There's a reason that these TV networks pay all this money for the Big Ten, even though Ohio State basically in football is the only team that's any good. It's because Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State, Wisconsin, Iowa, these are huge name brands that do draw eyeballs. So that is why the Michigan-UCLA game is the second game of the day but in terms of the games on Tuesday, USC Gonzaga, I'll tell you this, it's becoming kind of a trendy thing to say that, that USC could potentially beat Gonzaga. Um, I don't know if I'm ready to say that they will beat Gonzaga. I don't think that it's inconceivable though. I mean, you look at USC as as uh, you know, a listener of this show Dylan pointed out. Shout out Dylan, you know who you are. Um, you know, as Dylan pointed out, they are the number two ranked um or or USC, excuse me, is the number one ranked field goal percentage defense, two-point field goal percentage defense. So inside the three-point line, uh, Gonzaga has so many easy shots at the basket. I am so amazed by how they handle things on the fast break, how they do things. And I do think USC now is playing some of their best basketball imaginable I do have Gonzaga winning that game. I will stick with that. I had them in the pre-tournament. Those were the three teams that I had in the final 4 in the pre-tournament. Houston, Baylor, Gonzaga. I will have all three of those winning their games here. And then finally the last game, Michigan UCLA. I think uh it's a good good match like like this is one I don't know that either result would surprise me. I will probably take Michigan. By the way, I didn't even talk about Michigan. Maybe that's something I will talk about if if Michigan goes to the final 4. But what Jawan Howard has done continues to amaze me with Michigan. I mean, this is a guy, and it's funny because I'm going to talk about Mike Woodson in a second. I'm going to talk about the fact that Indiana basketball just officially died today, and I'm so mean and I'm such a jerk. But, um, you know, listen, Jawan Howard is an outlier. He is the unicorn, the guy that came down from the NBA and not only had immediate success, but maybe even took his program to another level. And it's so funny because part of the Mike Woodson thing is, well, Mike Woodson will be Michigan. He'll be Indiana's Juwan Howard. And it's like, no, there's no other Juwan Howard, just like there's no other. And I'm not trying to make an insane comparison, but like there's no other John Calipari. Right. Like like, you know, Kentucky fans, you know, frustrated, whatever, like you're not going to get anybody like John Calipari that loves to recruit, that loves the spotlight, that knows how to handle the, the fan base that gets teams better every single year, gets them in, like, there's no other John Calipari. There's no other Coach K. There's no other LeBron James. Like, like, say, it's like every year there's in the NBA, well, who's the next LeBron? It's like, there's there's no other LeBron. You know, there's no other guy that's gonna play 18 years in the NBA at an, all, at an MVP level, and I know I'm comparing Juwan Howard to LeBron James, but what I'm trying to say is, There's no other guy that with no experience in college basketball is going to come down to this level, be elite at X's and O's, be elite at game planning, and he is elite at both. If you watch that Florida State game, they just had Florida State on their heels the entire game. Florida State finished 25% shooting from the three-point line, 40% shooting from the field. They turned the ball over about 14, 15 times. Like I love Leonard Hamilton. Juwan Howard's team, better prepared, executed, ready to go, and they did it again without their second-leading scorer, Isaiah Livers, who's an NBA player. So, Juwan Howard is elite in X's and O's, elite in game planning, an elite recruiter. He has the number one ranked recruiting class in the country. I just don't think we give this guy enough credit. So, what I will say is, I do think Michigan wins that game. I will also say... To compete against Michigan, you have to have a degree and a level of physicality. I do think that UCLA has that. I don't know if they have enough size down low, but no, it would not shock me to see Michigan advance to the Final Four. So I will say of the Elite Eight teams, I will make it the most boring Final Four possible, taking Houston as a number one seed, taking Baylor as a number one seed, taking Gonzaga as a number one seed, and taking Michigan as a number one seed. I've talked a lot. But there is actually a lot more to talk about because on top of the fact that we got a great NCAA tournament weekend, we also got some wild coaching news. So I'm going to take a quick break and I'm going to come back talking about the hire that's going to save Indiana basketball. I'm just kidding. I'm being sarcastic. Uh, I will talk about Mike Woodson, talk a little bit about Chaka Smart going to Marquette. What does it mean for Marquette? What does it mean for Texas? We will get out of here. But the Mike Woodson stuff is must listen. Uh, The entire state of Indiana hates me right now. But listen, got to call a spade a spade. Didn't love the hire. Let's come back. I'm going to take a quick break and we will talk about it. All right, let's get into probably the single biggest topic in college basketball this weekend, which ironically, in a weekend with the Sweet 16 leading into the Elite Eight, the single biggest topic in college basketball was actually off the court. But before we get to it, it is, of course, a very serious topic. And if you guys don't mind, I just would like to give kind of a quick... Quick moment of silence, because it's a very serious topic, and I don't want to rush into this, and I want to pay pay this topic its proper respect. So please, if you guys don't mind, just a quick moment of silence. Thank you. I appreciate that. I appreciate you guys allowing me to have a quick moment of silence, because as you heard over the weekend, Indiana basketball has officially died. It is dead. R.I.P. 1900 to 2021 it was a good run for Indiana Bob Knight Calbert Cheney, Isaiah Thomas Steve Alford it was an incredible run five national championships but with the news that Mike Woodson has been hired as the next head coach in Indiana I just want to say RIP Indiana basketball it was a good run we had some fun we had some great memories but it is official we can no longer claim that Indiana is an elite college basketball program that was officially verified this weekend And it's kind of crazy because if you listen to this show, and obviously most of you guys do on a pretty regular basis, you know that I have been banging the drum, that I truly do believe. I truly, in my heart of hearts right up until this weekend, believe that Indiana is still a really good basketball job. Big Ten ton of history uh, passionate passionate fan base which is not very happy with me right now talking about this Mike Woodson job and I truly believed that they could still go out and get a good coach when you fire Archie Miller and pay him 10 million dollars I truly believe that there was a plan in place to get yourselves an elite coach no different by the way than when Texas fired Tom Herman and immediately had Steve Sarkeesian in mind as the next head coach and hired him basically that morning I don't know if Sark will work out. I don't know if he won't. But I loved the fact that Texas had a plan. If we're going to pay all this money, this is who we are going to go get. This is who we will get. This is who we did get. And this is who was our new head coach. And when Indiana decided not to, pay, not to retain Archie Miller, pay him $10 million to go away, I absolutely assumed that they had some plan in place. And it started out great, and Brad Stevens was never realistic, but you know, maybe they can get Scott Drew. He's from Indiana. Maybe they can get Chris Beard. He is from uh, Texas, but of course, he worked for a long time under Bobby Knight. Bobby Knight is, of course, a mentor of his. Maybe they go get Eric Musselman from Arkansas, and instead, they got Mike Woodson. And there's no disrespect to Mike Woodson. I'm sure he's a good guy. I'm sure, um, you know, whatever. But what I will tell you is he is not the answer at Indiana. I truly believe that. I do not believe that he is the guy to get this program back to where they believe that they should be uh, as a national championship contender every single year perennially. The way that uh, John Calipari became that guy when he got to Kentucky, the way that Roy Williams became that guy when he got to North Carolina. I am sorry. Mike Woodson is just not that guy. Now, for those of you kind of confused, let me kind of even backtrack from here. Mike Woodson, of course, uh, is a former longtime NBA head coach uh, and a longtime just NBA guy in general. He was the head coach of the Hawks for a while, head coach of the Knicks for a while, finished his NBA head coaching career with an overall record of 315 and 365. Not great, whatever. The NBA's weird if you don't have LeBron, if you don't have D Wade, if you don't have Steph Curry. Not easy to win in the NBA. So I will give him a pass on that. And the reason that Indiana decided that this was going to be the guy was because he did, in fact, play at Indiana. And he has the roots. He's from Indianapolis. He played during the glory era. And in Indiana's mind, and I guarantee you, when Indiana does this press conference, they are going to try to sell you this. They are going to try to say, this is our Juwan Howard. Juwan Howard, of course, is the head coach at Michigan, number one seed in the NCAA tournament. They're actually playing while I'm recording this segment right now. But Indiana is going to try to sell that Mike Woodson is their Juwan Howard. Juwan Howard, longtime NBA assistant, like I said, comes back and has a ton of success. Well, let me tell you this. I guarantee you with 100% certainty that they are nothing alike, okay? I get it. They both came from the NBA. They both did not have a huge college background prior to coming to the NBA. But here is the big difference, and I've, I said this on last episode when I talked about Indiana, but it's worth repeating here. Juwan Howard, when he got the job, was 46 years old, Okay. He had a son who was a high major recruit who was being recruited by some really good programs. Ironically, that son now plays for him at Michigan. But Juwan Howard was around high school in AAU and college basketball, all while coaching in the NBA he wasn't hands-on, he wasn't running an AAU program, but the bottom line was Juwan Howard kind of got how it all worked. He was kind of in the circles of uh, you know high major assistant coaches, high major head coaches, and I know because I've talked to them. They talked about being in the gym with Juwan Howard. They talked about uh, watching AAU basketball with Juwan Howard, and they said like when he got that job, they were like, I think this guy can work. He has that personality. He relates well to kids. Uh, he's been around kids these last you know four, five, six years as his son has come up, and I I think this can work with Juwan Howard. That is why Juwan Howard made sense. This is why Mike Woodson doesn't. Mike Woodson, again, Juwan Howard, by the way, 46 years old when he was hired. Mike Woodson is 63 years old, okay? Mike Woodson has not even been around college basketball in any capacity since he left Indiana in 1980! 1980. 1980! 1980. I am old as you know what, and I wasn't even bored in 1980. That was the last time Mike Woodson was even on a college campus. So please do not compare him to uh, Juwan Howard. Please do not compare him, by the way, to Penny Hardaway, who, oh, by the way, was coaching AAU in high school basketball and had a great understanding of how the structure worked. And of course, and we'll get into it in a minute, that is my biggest single concern with Mike Woodson that he ends up being Chris Mullen, that he ends up being Patrick Ewing, who with due respect to what Patrick Ewing just did last week at the Big East Tournament, never forget Patrick Ewing, all these big name kids that he's recruited, he either hasn't had success or they haven't stayed in the program. Mac McClung left, went to Texas Tech. James Akinjo left, went to Arizona. His best player this year, cutest Wahab, right after the NCAA tournament, decides to transfer out. And so that is my concern with Mike Woodson: is he has no background in college basketball at all. He has no idea how kind of the structure of things works, the transfer portal, recruiting, whatever. And now he is going to go on the recruiting trail head-to-head with John Calipari, with Tom Izzo, with Juwan Howard, with Brad Underwood, and that's not even having anything to do with the basketball stuff, but I just don't believe that he is put in place and he is ready to recruit at this level and do what he needs to do. Now, I understand that, of course, any Indiana fan listening to this show will say, oh, nice of you to mention all this stuff, and you don't even bring up that we hired Thad Mata. Yeah, we brought Thad Mata in too, thanks for acknowledging that. Yeah, what do you want me to say? You hired Thad Mata as an administrator. Big freaking deal. You know why it's not a big deal? I'll tell you why. First of all, let me let me even backtrack. I had somebody say, oh, at least well, way to not acknowledge that we basically hired Thad Mata to basically run the program from behind the scenes. Well, if you're hiring someone to run the program from behind the scenes, it means the real guy you hired isn't the right guy. And I'm sorry for yelling, but I don't know what else to say. Like, what else am I supposed to say? If you had to hire somebody to, quote unquote, basically run the program, it means the first guy you hired probably shouldn't. And even that, on top of everything else, that's on top of the fact that, let's be honest, Fat Mata wasn't really that good down the stretch. And I understand, and I talked about it a few episodes ago. He's had health issues. I feel bad. I feel terrible. When he was young, he was one of the great young rising coaches in the early to mid-2000s, in the early 2010s. But he wasn't that guy the final few years at Ohio State. As I mentioned, major health problems. And these are all reports. I don't know how he is now, but he's clearly not that good because he is not the head coach of this program. But this was a guy that, as I mentioned, major back surgery, and I hope it's gotten better. I pray it's gotten better. I don't want anybody to go through what Thad Mata has reportedly went through. But I mean, this was a guy that could, by the end of his time at Ohio State, could barely walk, could barely tie his shoes, could barely, uh, you know, run a practice. He basically sat on a stool at practice. And so, yes, he is an administrator, but it's not as though he was dominating college basketball in his final few years at Ohio State. And even if he was, let's never forget, he's not going to be the guy on the road recruiting. He's not going to be the guy in practice coaching. So what are you really hiring to kind of give a few ideas here and there? He's not going to be on the bench. He's not going to be on the sidelines. He's not going to be, you know, at Peach Jam with Mike Woodson and his staff. And I'm sorry, unless Mike Woodson hires a bunch of dogs in recruiting, I don't really know what difference Thad Mata makes. And I don't know what kind of difference Mike Woodson makes. And to me, those are the biggest concerns. Can he coach? Honestly, he probably wasn't as bad as an actual coach in the NBA as we all remember. But to me, it's not about coaching. It's about the dudes. It's about the guys. That's what matters in the NBA. If, again, if you don't have LeBron and AD, if you don't have Steph Curry, if you don't have whoever, you're not going to win at a high level. And that's my concern with Mike Woodson. Does he know how to recruit? Is he going to hire the right guys? Is he going to bring in the right people? Uh, And what do you do once you hit the ground running? Is he going to be a guy? And again, I go back to Chris Mullen. I used to hear stories all the time about Chris Mullen, like Chris Mullen made $100 million as an NBA player. Does that guy want to sit at Peach Jam in a hot gym all summer long? Does he want to have to come in in the middle of June when campus is dead to host an unofficial visit because a 15 year old wants to come check out the campus? These are the things that Mike Woodson is going to have to adjust to and not adjust to at a young age like Joan Howard, who, by the way, again, knew how college worked. He's going to have to adjust to this as a 63-year-old guy. What does Mike Woodson, by the way, know about the transfer portal? The transfer portal, even just since Thad Mata left three years ago, four years ago, is completely different now than it was four, five, six years ago. Does Mike Woodson know how the transfer portal works? Is he going to evaluate the right kids? Is he going to get the right kids in? Is he going to even recruit the transfer portal? Oh, by the way, is he going to be able to sell the current Indiana players on coming back to campus? That, to me, is the single biggest thing. That's why I would have wanted an active college coach that understands how the transfer portal works, that understands how recruiting works, that understands that if I don't get the guys that Archie Miller already recruited back, I'm in big, big, big trouble. Maybe Mike Woodson can do that, but to me, it still concerns me about just the idea of a 63-year-old with no experience in college basketball coming back to coach college. Couple quick thoughts, (laughs) because I've had enough of them. Um, One, you know, first of all, I can't help but think that the AD, I I don't even know what to say about the AD. I mean, I made the analogy on Twitter, but imagine being a, a guy probably somewhere in his mid to late 50s. You worked 30 years to become the Indiana head basketball coach. 30 years, late nights, away from your family. You're flying all over the country. You're doing this. You're doing that. You're missing birthdays. You finally get the big boy job in the big boy chair. And you know, I cannot get this hire wrong. Indiana basketball means everything to people in this state. And if I get this job, this, this hire wrong, I'm not getting another chance to make another hire. And what do you do? You go out and hire Mike Woodson? What? what I'm just saying I'm not saying it's definitive career suicide but like the analogy I would make imagine me uh you know and I work at Fox Sports Radio imagine me working at Fox Sports Radio for 30 years to finally get in the big boy chair to host uh you know morning drive from 9 a.m. to noon eastern and I work my whole life and I finally get in that big chair and the first day first show right after the Super Bowl I open the show talking tennis or golf or even college basketball for that matter. I'm not saying it'd be definitive career suicide, but it's gonna be really hard to make up from. The second thing, and this is what would really bother me if I was an Indiana fan. You can justify Mike Woodson if it is after the NCAA tournament and all the guys that you wanted are simply not available. If you waited until April 4th and you interviewed Eric Musselman and he just said no, okay. Scott Drew, and he just said no. Okay. Porter Mosier, and he just said no. Okay. Here's the problem. Eric Musselman is still in the NCAA tournament. Porter Mosier just was eliminated on Saturday, 24 hours before the hire. Uh, Scott Drew, still in the NCAA tournament. Chris Beard, eliminated about four or five days ago. Was Chris Beard ever a candidate? Did you really reach out to him? Or did you just kind of say you were thinking about maybe possibly reaching out to him? And when Brad Stevens said no, You went and got Mike Woodson. I would also say on top of that, I do believe that to me, this feels like something that was kind of run behind the scenes by boosters. Never forget, one booster gave $10 million to get Archie Miller out of there. One gave $10 million new dollars to get the new head coach. I have to imagine that that booster had a big say in this hire. But the final thing I'll say is this, is that look, I don't wish Mike Woodson any ill will. I hope I'm wrong. I do. I hope I'm wrong because if I'm wrong, it means Indiana is really, really, really awesome. And then I get to talk about him a lot and I get to talk about how wrong I was. And one thing you could say about me, if I'm wrong, I own it. But if I am wrong, that'll be great for me. But I just don't see the scenario where I'm wrong. That's my last thought is I have been doing this a long time. I've been right on some. I've been wrong on others. Um, you know, I thought, I can't think of any off the top of my head. I've been right on some. I've been wrong on others but I just don't feel like this is the right hire. A 63-year-old guy, no head coaching experience, or no college coaching experience, I should say. He has been an NBA head coach. No experience recruiting the transfer portal. No experience recruiting high school players. No experience understanding what high school players even want. And I know the NBA is going to be a big, well, he comes from the NBA. Well, guess what? There's a lot of guys now. You're recruiting against, never forget, Juwan Howard came from the NBA. John Calipari coached in the NBA. Um, you know, Penny Hardaway came from the NBA. I mean, Memphis still hasn't made an NCAA tournament under Penny Hardaway. How much has that NBA angle really helped him? So to me, I just feel like it'd be one thing if you went through, checked all the boxes, Scott Drew, Chris Beard, Eric Musselman, and they all said, no, 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 Porter Mosier, no, 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 but they didn't. Most of those guys are still in the tournament. Maybe one or two has since been eliminated in the last day or two. But to me, this just doesn't feel like the right hire. Indiana fans, I know you hate me. I know you you think that I'm out of my mind. I hope I'm wrong on this one because I really do feel like if I am, here's the good news. If I am, it means that, again, I get to talk about Indiana all the time. And I get to talk about how wrong I was. And for people listening to this show, you know I talk about how wrong I am all the time. I just don't think I will be wrong on this one. Outside of the Indiana news, there was of course some big kind of coaching carousel stuff since I last recorded. Won't spend a ton of time on this, but it is kind of crazy how quickly all this stuff came together. I just recorded late Thursday night. Uh, At that point, Indiana was still wide open. At that point, Marquette was still wide open. At that point, DePaul was open. At that point, Texas, of course, was not open. And a lot has changed since I recorded on Thursday night, not just with Uh, Not just with what happened in Indiana and with our buddy, Mike Woodson. And by the way, don't think we'll be calling him friend of the Aaron Torres podcast, Mike Woodson, anytime soon. I'm guessing he ain't rushing to come on this podcast after everything that I've said. But what I will say is that the other big news obviously happened early Friday afternoon when Marquette announced that they have hired Shaka Smart as their new head coach. Shaka Smart, of course, spent the last six years at the University of Texas. And let me say this about that hire, and again, we're not gonna spend a ton of time on it, but what I will tell you is one thing, is that I do think as critical as I have been of Shaka Smart, I actually like this hire a lot for Marquette, and I actually like this hire a lot for Texas. And I do think that sometimes in life, Uh, Just because you don't work somewhere doesn't mean that you can't have success somewhere else, and that doesn't mean that you're terrible at your job and you should be fired and you should never be allowed to work again. Sometimes things just don't work out, whatever the case is. Sometimes it's best for everyone to get a fresh start. And in a lot of ways, what this reminds me of, what I expect it to work out as is a little bit like Mike Anderson when he left Arkansas. When Mike Anderson left Arkansas, I think we all agree it wasn't working. They hadn't really had as much success as Arkansas fans thought. They wanted more. They got Eric Musselman. Eric Musselman and Arkansas are now in the, in the Elite Eight. But also, I'll say this. Mike Anderson wasn't a bad coach. He wasn't, a, a, you know, incapable of doing the job. It was just time for Arkansas to move on and for Mike Anderson to move on. And it's worked out well for Mike Anderson. Had St. John's on the brink of an NCAA tournament this year. And I think the program is in much better shape than it was when he took over. And to me, the Shaka Smart, to tech, or Shaka Smart from Texas to Marquette news, in a lot of ways, feels the same way. And for a little bit of background, listen, I've talked a ton about Shaka on this show. And we kind of all know the credentials. 2011 Final Four, unbelievable run, built VCU from kind of this fringe, kind of A-10, sort of a contender, but not really a contender. I actually think they were in the CAA when he actually got to VCU, but really good team, consistent NCAA tournament team, took him to the 2011 Final Four and was basically the hottest young coach in college basketball for years. I mean, he turned down a lot of legitimately good jobs, or at least was linked to a lot of legitimately good jobs. He was linked at a time to Illinois. They went in another direction because he basically said no. He was actually linked to UCLA. He said, no, they hire Steve Alford. Ironically, he almost took the Marquette job in 2014. He is a Wisconsin native. He waits and waits and waits and waits and waits, ends up at Texas. And when that happens, it feels like it's the home run hire of the century. Cannot miss. It's going to work. There's no doubt about it. And it just didn't work. And when I look back on why it didn't work, as critical as I've been of Shaka, I don't think he's that he's a terrible coach. I just think as many else have speculated, as many else have said, and I think many are accurate in saying it, I just don't think he was the right fit for that school. I don't think he had the right approach. And what I mean by that is when he was at VCU, he had a ton of success kind of taking these under the radar recruits getting him to play his way. If you remember, VCU was known as a program that had a a style called Havoc, where they basically pressed up and down for 40 minutes, made you make mistakes, made you turn the ball over. VCU actually played this way. It's a shame that they never got a chance to play in the NCAA tournament this year. Obviously, their game was canceled because of COVID. But basically, that was how Shaka Smart made his name. We're gonna speed you up. We're gonna make you make mistakes. We're gonna make you beat you that way. And when he got to Texas, Partly, he stopped doing it and partly there was a reason why. He stopped doing it because he realized at Texas, they expect me to recruit five-star recruits. They expect me to recruit McDonald's All-Americans. And those guys don't want to play that way. Those guys want to play more structure. I don't Structure is not the right word, but they want to play more pro style stuff. These are kids that have plans on being in the NBA or a year in a year or two. And so I believe that I have to switch what I do and who I am for the Texas job. Clearly, it didn't work. Clearly, that hire did not work out the way that anyone had hoped. And listen, I know they had a good year this year. They won the Big 12 uh, championship, the conference championship, ended up as a three seed. But I think when we look back on Shaka Smart's time at Texas, I don't think there's any other way to put it. It has to be considered a failure. He was there six years. Made, uh, uh, you know, a couple NCAA tournaments, but did not win a single NCAA tournament game. And of course, he will most be noted for losing as a three seed to Abilene Christian in the 2021 NCAA tournament in his final game as Texas's head coach. And coming out of that game, it was really funny because I saw a couple, a lot of different people talking about it, and I saw some you know, fans saying, can you really bring Shaka back after that game? I was kind of in that camp, and I saw some media like, oh my God, you fans, you're so dumb. How dare you say that? And it's like, well, no, I think the fans kind of have a point. This is year six, zero NCAA tournament wins. You just lost as a three seed. And oh, by the way, here is the fact about what Texas was looking like going forward. Uh, They had a bunch of seniors on their roster. Matt Coleman, their starting point guard, was a senior. Andrew Jones, their their two guard, who, of course overcame battling leukemia he was a fourth year guy that you assume was ready to move on Jericho Sims one of their starting front court guys was a senior you assume he's ready to move on they had a few players enter the transfer portal shortly after the season ended Greg Brown likely a first round pick he's going to declare Kai Jones likely a first round pick he is going to declare and so the program was already going to go through some turmoil no matter what Shaka Smart decided to do and I'll be honest I do think there was a a situation, there was a circumstance. I was kind of told that when that Abilene Christian game ended, I don't know if Texas explicitly told Shaka Smart, hey, if you don't find another job, we are going to fire you. But what I will tell you is, is that independent of what may or may not have happened, I've had multiple people tell me that Texas kind of hinted like, hey, if you want to look for another job, Like, that wouldn't be the worst thing. Like, we wouldn't be mad at you if you decide to look for another job. And so that's exactly what he did ending up at Marquette. And all I'll say about the Marquette situation is a couple things very simply this. One, as I mentioned, he is from Wisconsin. I think it is great that he is going to get a fresh start. And I'll be really curious. One thing I will say, anybody who listens to this show, you guys know I'm a UConn alum. I've talked about it a million times. The Big East is wide open right now. Villanova's really awesome. Creighton has established itself as a really good program. I really like where UConn's at. And in most years, Seton Hall is in a pretty good place, even though they didn't make the NCAA tournament this year. But the bottom line is the Big East had a total of three NCAA tournament teams this year. Uh, no real national championship contender. And so I do believe that there is a situation where you can move up and have almost immediate success at Marquette. And I kind of feel like Shaka Smart is going to have pretty good success. I think the big thing is he has to get back to recruiting the types of players that he wants to coach, a style that he wants to coach. He cannot get wrapped up in recruiting five-star McDonald's All-Americans. If those are the players that are going to work for him, it's different. But I get the sense that he is one of those guys that works better, um, you know, with kind of under-the-radar players that he can build up, that he can mold, that he can get to play his way. But I do think he can have success. The Big East is completely wide open. On top of that, Marquette, I have been told time and time and time again in college basketball circles, is probably a better job than we give it credit for because of the fact that they play in an NBA arena. Because of the fact that in a non-COVID situation, you're playing in front of 18,000 fans. They have great facilities. The city of Milwaukee loves Marquette basketball. They've won national championships. They've gone to Final Fours there. And so I do believe that you can have success on top of the fact that, oh, by the way, don't forget one, Wisconsin actually produces a weirdly large amount of basketball players. Tyler Heroes from Wisconsin. Um... Jalen Johnson, who quit at Duke, is from Wisconsin. Patrick Baldwin, who's the number one high school player in America, number two high school player in America, he's from Wisconsin. So the combination of it being a better job than people expect, the Big East being a little bit down, the fact that there are players in Wisconsin, I think that he can have real success there. And I will say, as critical as I have been of him on this show, on my Twitter feed, I have to be honest and genuine, and I have been critical. I do think it can work there. I think what's also equally interesting is what happens next to Texas Tech. I'll be honest. Um, you know, I thought a lot of the candidates that Indiana should or would go after, which I just talked about a minute ago, I assumed that they would be in the mix at Texas once Shaka Smart took the Marquette job. So we'll see what happens. Like, I want to sit here and say, like, oh, it's definitively Chris Beard. It's Chris Beard or bust. But I thought it was like kind of Chris Beard or Scott Drew or Brad Stevens or bust at Indiana. And they ended up with Mike Woodson. So before I get too excited, like I do have to, you know, kind of accept the reality that, uh, you know, this coaching cycle has not really gone as as anybody has expected. Uh, Indiana, a little bit of an underwhelming hire. UNLV, an underwhelming hire with Lon Kruger's son, Kevin Kruger. Um, you know, Marquette, say what you want. I think Shaka could work there, but let's make no mistake. This is a guy, uh, Steve Wojciechowski was fired at Marquette because he never won a tournament game. Shaka Smart is coming to Marquette after, with zero NCAA tournament wins in six years. Iowa State hired a coach that was under 500 at UNLV. So it's not as though this coaching carousel has blown up, but what I would also say is Texas is still, in basketball circles, an elite job for the reasons that I said, great players in state, great facilities, great fan support. I mean, the, the money that goes into the Texas basketball program is absolutely unbelievable. In terms of who I believe that they should call, I'll be honest, the list kind of reminds me of what the list was for Indiana. The first call, the most obvious call, I don't even think it's a debate, should be Chris Beard, right? For people who do not know, Chris Beard, head coach at Texas Tech, um, he was the guy uh, who has kind of come up the coaching ranks. He spent a lot of time at Texas Tech as a young assistant coach, but he also was a graduate assistant and began his career at Texas. And so it is really funny if you if you follow social media, if you listen to, to people on Twitter, they'll tell you there's no way he'd leave Texas Tech. What I would tell you is a couple things. First of all, you know, this this narrative that Chris Beard would never leave Texas Tech. I mean, I sort of get it. This is a guy who was an assistant for 10 years at Texas Tech. His family is all basically in the region. He has daughters who were going to school in that area. I get it. But what I would also say is, like, let's make no mistake. Chris Beard, in about a four or five year period, went from one D2 job to another. A second. D- he went from one D2 job to a second D2 job, a second D2 job to Little Rock, Little Rock to UNLV. Never forget, he took the UNLV job for about two weeks, then backed off, decided to go to Texas Tech. The point being, he had about five jobs in about a seven-year stretch. So this idea that he's going to retire at Texas Tech is absolutely preposterous to me. And I do think Texas is one of the jobs that would actually make him consider leaving for, uh, you know, leaving Texas Tech. I would say on top of that, there are two other reasons for me to think that Chris Beard might realistically end up at Texas coming out of this coaching cycle. Number 1, important to note, his buyout on April 1st, which is this coming Thursday, it drops from $6 million for a Big 12 school to hire him to $4 million. Now, I don't think Texas is going to be concerned over dollars and cents and too worried all that much, but hey, If you can wait till Thursday, make this hire official, save yourself $2 million, why not? On top of that, what I would also say is this. I'm recording here on late Sunday night. As of right now, the Texas job opened up on Friday morning. It has been a full 48 hours since the Texas job opened up. And Chris Beard hasn't said anything. And so to me, yes, it's very easy to say he'll never leave Texas Tech. Well, why hasn't he said something? Why hasn't he said something? We're we're, we're at 48 hours going on 60 hours. The job has been open. Everybody knows that he is the favorite to get that job. And if he doesn't, or if he's not interested, it'd be very easy to say, like, I don't want the job. I'm not going to take it. So we will see what happens there. And beyond that, um, you know, all I would say is this. Once you get past Chris Beard, I think he is the heavy, heavy, heavy favorite to get that job. Beyond Chris Beard, I think the list should look very similar To what the list was for Indiana besides Mike Woodson of course forget me Mike Woodson and Thad Mott oh my god they got Thad Mott at Indiana that's incredible (laughs) sorry I can't I I I will not forgive Indiana fans for this Um, but I think the list should look similar I would call Porter Mosier at Loyola Chicago. I know it's not a perfect fit Chicago to Illin—you know from Chicago to Texas, uh, Missouri Valley to the Big 12, but the guy knows how to coach a system. He knows how to coach players up. He knows how to get the most out of players. He knows how to build a program. I think he'd be great at Texas. Eric Musselman, kind of the same deal. Seems like once this NCAA tournament ends, I would assume that Hunter Juracek is going to have an extension right in front of him, The second Arkansas gets eliminated, I would think that there would be a contract in front of him before they even board the plane back to Fayetteville. But, you know, if he is still available for the taking, you got to go get Eric Musselman or you got to at least give him a call. I would add a few more names that maybe didn't work for Indiana. Uh, Brad Underwood, the head coach at Illinois. He is from Kansas originally, spent a ton of time in the Big 12 as an assistant coach at Kansas State also coached at Stephen F. Austin, which is in the state of Texas. He, of course, is a guy that is from that area. You think that maybe he would accept a call. I would also call friend of the Aaron Torres podcast, Mike Boynton, Mike Boynton, the head coach at Oklahoma State. I know everybody would say, oh, he just he hired Cade Cunningham's brother. Yeah. And so what? A lot of people hire people. You know, LSU hired, a, you know, the godfather of Ben Simmons. How did that work out? Mike Boynton did an incredible job not only building a team around Cade Cunningham, but building up that program, um, you know, recruiting the right pieces, getting everybody to play well. I thought every single player on that roster improved over the course of this year. And oh, by the way, he only makes a million dollars a year. And so from a financial standpoint, he is a guy that you can go swoop in and take, but Mike Boynton would be another name that I would call, but I would start with Chris Beard, make him say no. If he says no, I'd bring him a bigger check. If he says no, I'd bring him a bigger check after that. And then you see where it goes from there. And then, like I said, it's a Porter Mosier, Eric Musselman, Mike Boynton, Brad Underwood thing. But who knows? Because I didn't have Indiana hiring Mike Woodson. And yet, here we are on Sunday night hiring Mike Woodson. The only other piece of coaching news I would add is that, uh, you know, of course, DePaul, the big story there, Kenny Payne was expected to be hired as the head coach there. Uh, Kenny Payne, for people who do not know, he is a New York Knicks assistant, former Kentucky assistant, longtime assistant under John Calipari. Uh, A Kentucky administrator named Dwayne Peavy ended up at DePaul. So it felt like a natural fit to hire Kenny Payne. Instead, it does not happen. And we'll get some details in the coming days about how that may or may not have gone gone down, why he did not accept the job. But DePaul is obviously still looking for a new head coach. I'll be fascinated to see what they, what they go after. Could they get Porter Mosher, of course, from Loyal of Chicago to take that job? I don't know. I'm just saying is that I was stunned when Kenny Payne did not end up as the head coach at DePaul. All right. I think that is it for this segment of the Aaron Taurus Sports Podcast. I think that's it for this episode of the Aaron Sports Podcast. I've gone on long enough. Shout out to Mike Woodson. Shout out to everybody. I cannot believe that as I record here, uh, Mike Woodson, of course, is the head coach in Indiana and that the Pac-12 runs college basketball. But before we get out of here, I want to remind you, Please make sure that you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Uh, if you're not, if you're on the KSR feed, please make sure to swing on over to the Aaron Torres Podcast feed. Uh, make sure you are subscribed there. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Make sure you are following on social media at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram aaron torres podcast questions at gmail.com if you have any questions for the show aaron torres podcast questions at gmail.com find us on youtube the comment section on mike woodson is going to be insane i promise you that uh but that's all for today's show i will be back on wednesday we will obviously have a final four at that point which i don't care who you're a fan of i think it is awesome that we have an NCAA tournament, that these games are being played, and 48 hours from now, we will have four teams in the Final Four. But that is all for today's show. Shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel, who hates my voice. Shout out to Indiana fans and Mike Woodson, baby! I will be back on Wednesday. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family